This episode contains conversations around mental health that may be triggering for some listeners. These conversations do not offer diagnosis or imply proper treatment. Please always consult with medical or mental health professionals. Hello, and thank you for joining us for Conversations, Connections, and Community. I am your host, Debbie Shear. In this show, I have the absolute pleasure of chatting with people in our GLBTQ plus community about things that impact us in small and not so small ways. So thank you for listening and please do tell us what you think and what topics you would like to hear discussed. Hello, everybody, and thank you for joining me for Conversation, Connection, and Community. I am so, so excited for this episode. I'm over the moon excited for our guest, to, and we're just going to dive in because this topic is so important. It's so yummy. It's so just there's a lot to chew on. So Please, uh, I'm thrilled to introduce Chrissy Hodges, and I'm going to read your bio because it's just, I just need to because I haven't memorized it. It's very full. So you're a certified peer support specialist, and you're doing peer support and referral consultations internationally through treatment for OCD consulting. Uh, Chrissy is the Chief Operating Officer and Co-Founder of Peer Recovery Services, PRS. And this is really cool, Chrissy. PRS was awarded the government contract to place peer support specialists in the Colorado State Civilian and Forensic Mental Health Institutions. Whoa, we'll find out more about that. It sounds super important, but I don't fully understand what it means. So I will ask you about that. I'm just being perfectly honest. You're also the CEO of OCD Peers, which provides daily peer support groups internationally for individuals with OCD. You are the author of Pure OCD, the invisible side of obsessive compulsive disorder. Yeah, get the book, get the book. And you are the founder and executive director of the nonprofit OCD Game Changers. You also, and congratulations to this, were the recipient of the 2017 International OCD Foundation Hero Award for Advocacy. And folks, that's all the time we have. So thank you for joining us. It's been a great show. <laughs> Hi, welcome. How are you? I'm good. I'm so excited to be here and express to you. I'm really nervous to be here too. This is a really important conversation and topic. And um, But I'm really excited to be able to explore it with someone who I know is genuinely empathetic and listens and is accepting. So I feel really comfortable being here and opening up this conversation. Well, thank you. And I'm, I'm really grateful for your willingness to A, be here, share your wisdom and be vulnerable because all of these conversations, there is a risk with all conversations, right? And we're going to chat a little bit about that. So I would, you know, you are... OCD is our topic, but it's, we're going to talk more than that, right? More than that, because yes. it is more than that. But I do want to start, if you will allow me to, with the concept of language mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. just language as it pertains to mental health in general, mm -hmm. because I have to tell you, you know, you've, I've always looked to you for guidance, you know, and that's the beauty in Facebook. You can find a lot of stuff without the person ever knowing that you're looking, right? It's kind of like, but I do, I, like, I would, you know, oh, I, 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 job. I'd seek you out. I've, you've been very, um, 
just very kind in sharing your wisdom and knowledge with me when I've reached out and asked for help. And so I really appreciate that. Well, I had put a post, I don't know when it was, it was probably one of the first storms that we had, who knows. And I said, yeah, okay, yes, <laughs> yes. I said, hey, just a, you know, a little friendly reminder that weather is not, it's not bipolar, right. weather is not schizophrenic. And I have to tell you that I would say for the most of the people who responded did so positively. But what happened was a few people shared that post. And so I always track the footprints, right? And on some of the shared posts, there was such backlash to someone, you know, that these people didn't know me, but I was just what a bitch and how entitled and why do people even care about this? It's just a word and I'm sick of the word police. And I just sat there reading it going, wow, this is really fascinating and telling. It's Mm -hmm. so telling. So what I want to do is ask you very specifically why, and I mean, we all know the answer, but I think it's important to hear it from someone who, who you know, you, have a, you identify as someone who has OCD and you are very sensitive about language, right? And, and for really important reasons. So why does language matter? And why do you think people become so combative when mm-hmm. they've just been given a slight hey, just a reminder, you know, or hey, mm-hmm. here's a little direction, you know, use yummy or use something else. Mm-hmm. So. Great questions. Um, language is important to me and always has been since, well, I, I guess maybe not. It, I mean, it always has been until, you know, since I realized how impactful it is on people's recovery, on people's ability to let go of stigma on the degree of shame and guilt people feel for living with major mental illness, including obsessive compulsive disorder. That's usually not included in the major mental illness category, but it is. Um, It's always looked at as an a la carte, um, which just pisses me off. (laughs) But also one of the reasons why is because of language. So um, first of all, I was 100% in support of your post. I correct people all the time when they say schizophrenic when they say my ex is borderline when they say this is bipolar i'm so adhd i correct people and it's just it's just part of my conversation and i don't care what their response is my goal is to plant a seed um in my early days of advocacy we we always in our advocacy all fired up like i'm gonna change the world and then you realize I can't change the world until I learn how to relate to people and I learn how to not take everything so personal. Um, And so over the seven or eight years I've been doing advocacy, I really have evolved in a way of not only gaining more empathy for people who can't understand or don't want to change, um, but honing in on specific tactics, um, conversational skills to be able to really do exactly what you're, what you're, you know, asking about why do people feel this way? Why is it they get so offensive, like defensive immediately? So firstly, I just want to touch on the importance of, um, and I don't want to go too much into OCD yet, because I know that we are going to talk about that in a few, few minutes, but 
language is so important to me because, and it's so important to the OCD community in general, uh, because OCD is so trivialized in our society. And I know that if you're watching this, you know this, and you might have trivialized it. So I'm not going to take the time to, you know, smack you down or tell you (laughs) that you're a horrible person for doing it. None of us know that we're doing something until we know it. So I'm here hopefully today to be able to shed some light on how damaging it is. Um, Just really quickly, OCD is a major mental illness. It takes up to 15 to 17 years for accurate diagnosis. I know that you probably think that's ridiculous because if you're washing your hands, you have OCD. Washing hands and contempt. I don't think it's ridiculous, but I want to ask you, and maybe you were going to get to this, so I apologize for interrupting. Why is that, why does that particular mental illness take so long to diagnose? Um, A, because of the trivialization of it. (laughs) The, you know, using that term so incorrectly and also making people believe that everybody has a little bit of it. So when it, when it turns into a disorder for people, they don't know how to ask for help or they feel weak. We have some statistical data to, to confirm that um, 67% of people who live with OCD, and this is just what we know um, because it's very much skewed because of uh, insurance companies, misdiagnosis, all that. Um, 67% of people live with what is, what is the community name is called pure OCD. So it's, it's not a technical scientific term. It's just a community name for individuals who have intrusive thoughts and everybody gets intrusive thoughts, but people with OCD get intrusive thoughts that are unwanted. They're scary and they have mental rituals. So it's undetectable, not only to the person experiencing it because it's their experience, but to people around them, sometimes the thoughts are so terrifying. You go, I have to hide this. I have to in people, I hit it for 12 years and I didn't even know anything was wrong, Debbie, like 12 years. Um, and so, so if you didn't know that something was wrong, what did you think was happening? Because I can't imagine that that felt good for you. It was probably a very stressful uh, experience, but you didn't know it was wrong. You didn't probably have role models or it wasn't talked about as much, hopefully, you know, as it is now. So what did you think was happening? Um, so this dives into my lived experience. Do we, do you want to go there? Well, yeah, I'm just, if you want to, I'm just curious to oh, oh, yeah. hear oh, your, okay. your insight into it. If, if you didn't know what was going yeah. on, I'm sure your brain was, was creating a story of what was happening. Right. So I am 43 and my, the onset of OCD was age eight mm. and, um, for no particular reason, just one day out of the blue, I started to have intrusive thoughts about vomiting. Someone had gotten sick in the classroom. I'd never had intrusive thoughts about it before, but um, obsessive compulsive disorder is a malfunction in the brain that messes with the fight or flight. So when you have an intrusive thought with OCD, it is, you are in danger, do something now. It's also ego dystonic, which means that you have insight that this is weird and not right, but the thoughts are so persistent the anxiety is so persistent. That's what makes it so confusing of like, I don't feel like it's right, but it's still here. And I'm having a visceral reaction to it. So it must be real. My brain's telling me I'm in danger. So with OCD, 
that's where the compulsions come in. Compulsions are um, a behavioral response to an intrusive thought that creates anxiety to reduce the amount of anxiety that you have. So society knows that as hand washing, organizing, things like that. Everybody thinks that, that oh, I'm so OCD because I like my towels to be straight. I'm so OCD because of this. Well, when you're experiencing intrusive thoughts and the rituals are mental, this feels real, Debbie. I mean, it feels real. Like I am in danger. So I just want to make sure I'm understanding correctly. So when you're saying they're internalized thoughts, it's not necessarily something that I would see. If you and I were in a room together, I wouldn't see you um, washing your hands an excessive amount of times because you're experiencing something inside that you're keeping hidden from me that's helping you to reduce your anxiety. Yes. So the mental compulsions, I mean, I could be doing compulsions now and you wouldn't even know it. <laughs> so it's like they the kegels. It's like the kegels. I'm doing my kegels right now. Nobody knows. <laughs> so there you go. Okay. We're both doing something that nobody knows. Kegels, right? You know, have a better outcome though. Maybe, um, maybe. Well, who knows? Well, the bird, yeah, you're right. <laughs> Um, so yes, mental compulsions can be anything from ruminating, which we all do. Ruminating is trying to solve an unsolvable question in our brains. Avoidance. So let's say if I'm, as a child, I started becoming afraid of uh, vomit, I would start avoiding the custodians because they're the ones that clean up the vomit. Mm. I would start avoiding the school bathrooms or a, a, a classroom that someone had gotten sick in monkey bars on the, or I'm sorry, um, the tire swing at the playground because people vomit on that. So avoidance is a big one and nobody would ever know that. Um, Mental reviewing. So thinking back, oh my God, when have I gotten sick before? I should avoid eating that stuff. Um, This date I threw up last year. So I'm going to be really anxious on this date because I threw up last year. Maybe I did this. So it's, and the list goes on and on and on of the mental compulsions, but you don't know it's happening to you. Because you think it's coming from you. Oh, interesting. It is an actual response that's, it's a malfunction in the brain. The way I like to look at it is like, if your amygdala over here is filtering all your thoughts to make sure you're not in danger because the amygdala is responsible for your survival. The malfunction is there's like a little glitch here. And every once in a while, one of those bad thoughts comes through the filter into your executive function. And you're like, oh my God, why did I just have that thought? And then the amygdala is like, wait a minute, she had a thought we're in danger. Like you're in danger, do something. And so your first, because it's not real danger. Yeah. Your yeah. first reaction is to do anything to reduce the distress. Sure. So you don't know it's not real. Your brain is telling you it is real. So that is, I, I'm so grateful that the way that you just explained it, I think is so helpful for people to understand not only the seriousness of it, right? So once you understand how real and serious it is, that hopefully will help people not trivialize it the way that we do, the way that our society has conditioned us to do, the way the media mm-hmm. has conditioned us to do, right? We've, we've all, I certainly have been guilty of that as well. And as you and I have had conversations in the past, you know, many of us have have done things that we didn't know were harmful or upsetting to someone that the real, the important piece is once you do know, 
then how yes. do you change your behavior? You know, that was my thing about the, the weather. I did pipe in, which was probably a mistake on one of the comments. And I said, here's my question to you. If a friend or just someone, you don't even have to know them that well, just another human says to you, this is upsetting to me. And it's an easy fix for you to use a different word. Why wouldn't you? Why, yes. What kind of a schmuck are you that you're so insistent on using, you know, bipolar or schizophrenic or whatever to describe the weather mm-hmm. after you know oh, it's hurtful. So it's just, so I love, I, I'm really grateful for the way that you just explained that. I, I want to ask you just a little bit of a shift because I know <laughs> during this time of a pandemic and COVID and well, they're the same thing, Debbie. I mean, really, it's like, we're talking about the same, you know, how have you, what have you noticed just in the media? What have you noticed on Facebook? I feel like there's more jokes about OCD. I feel like there's more, well, gee, everybody who has OCD is living their best life. Like, I feel like there's a lot of really harmful humor that's circulating right now. Mm-hmm. You notice that or what do you, what are your thoughts on that? I haven't seen as much lately, thank goodness. But when, when, when all of this first started, um, there were, there were some really harmful articles that came out. And in fact, a few from our community members. And I was like, Whoa, like, no. Um, luckily we have our OCD community community is pretty tight knit and we've got advocates that are just balls to the wall. No offense. Like, I hope that language wasn't offensive, <laughs> but not it's true. Me. Like not to me, <laughs> <laughs> but like people are, most of the people that become advocates suffered for so long and they just got this degree of anger and like frustration that they are like, it's time to advocate. And I don't care what I have to do or say, like we're, we change this. And so um, we had a, a few articles come out at the very beginning, one in which even my nonprofit had to do a response to, and then I got like seven nonprofits on board to support the message. And to, so um, I haven't seen many surface lately, which is good. But um, one of the things I want people to hear is that um, OCD is not something you can develop all of a sudden Um, research shows it is you're predisposed to it. um, And There's a lot of research pointing to genetics. So people may develop OCD during this pandemic, but it is not as a result of the pandemic. It is a result of the distress and trauma, change, loss, things like that. OCD is very much tied to, uh, for many, many people, including myself, um, onset or relapse is tied to things like stress, trauma, loss, um, and COVID has been really hard on the OCD community. And I will say this, Debbie, it's not, it hasn't been hard on a lot of us because of contamination. Most people are like, I don't care if I get COVID. I just need to know if I'm in the right relationship, or I need to know if I'm a pedophile, or I need to know if I'm this, because those are really common themes. Uh, So that is what you know, it just, it amplifies OCD when there's a lot of uncertainty because OCD is solely based on the need for certainty. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. That's helpful. So when you talked about earlier about your OCD, you know, started technically when you were eight, that was when this first, you, you had, you were predispositioned to it is what you're saying. 
but that's just for whatever that trigger was, that trauma, whatever, it, whatever happened, that's when it manifested and showed up in your life. Mm-hmm. And I think this is really re- a relevant question or a re- relevant statement because people settle on specific themes of OCD and they feel so real that then they mentally review their past. Um, I mentioned earlier, like pedophile theme, it's a huge theme. It's people get it like a mom changing their baby. Oh my God, did I touch my baby? And oh my God, did I just molest my child? And then they start avoiding their baby and they maybe will mentally review their past and say, have I ever had behaviors like this that would indicate this? Yada, yada, yada. So, um, but having a baby is a change. Even a good change is going to likely trigger something like that. So then they get stuck with these themes for years. We're talking about all day. Not like, I had an intrusive thought today, but I'm going to go get ice cream and it'll be better. No, all day, every day when it gets really chronic. Um, And so themes don't matter. I hate saying that because they matter to the person emotionally, but they don't matter when it comes to treatment. I just happen. I always say the OCD stars aligned on that day and somebody barfed in the classroom. Damn (laughs) Because if it wasn't that, I could have gone out the door and it could have been something else. Now, did you go to school during the time where they just put the sawdust over the barf? Because that's an entirely different level of disaster, in my opinion. We had like the cherry cat litter. God, yes. <laughs> Damn it. Okay. I can remember the smell. <laughs> Who thought that was a good idea? I don't know. I mean, whoever did, right? Things evolve. Thankfully, we've moved past that as the, the cleanup method. Woo! Okay. Sawdust. Oh gosh. I just, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm 52. So these things are, but right? like it's, I remember that. Um, so I'm wondering if you can chat a little bit. I, I do, you know, one of the things when you and I kind of were talking before you agreed to do this is, you know, this podcast or not podcast, this show episode or show, I should say, listen, Colorado is really, you know, about the LGBTQ community and and things that impact our community. And so, yes, we know OCD impacts every single community out there. There's not, you know, one community that goes, hey, y'all, none of us have OCD. (laughs) I I doubt that exists. But I wanted to chat with you a little bit about what part of OCD or where is that bridge or how is that impacting the GLBTQ community Okay. So this is such an important topic. And, um, you know, for anyone watching or listening to this, I just want, you know, some of the things I may say may feel triggering to you, or they may feel like, why would she say something like that? Um, but I would really hope and encourage you to, to listen with an open mind and understand that this is coming from OCD because I want to make sure to protect people that are listening, but also be able to understand what OCD is and how it can manifest. So you, you know, we just had the discussion of OCD themes and how you don't pick your theme. (laughs) If everybody did, it would be like a pure peanut butter or something (laughs) like, you know, a beer like you know you don't pick them they you know I usually say like well they pick you on whatever day you're primed to be triggered so the community name pure OCD again not scientific just a community name 
um, which by the way, is a, it's a community name to help people feel more included because of the language used in society. These people felt so ostracized that, that a great therapist um, created a community name so we can all feel like we belong. Um, the themes are typically sexual, violent, um, blasphemous, relationship health oriented, mental health oriented, um, the list can go on it. But um, again, the distinguishing factor is you get intrusive thoughts that are going against typically what you want in your life or what you desire and uh, mental rituals. So one of the categories that is very prevalent for people is sexual orientation, OCD. Um, a lot of people, so there's a, we use a lot of acronyms and the reason why we use acronyms is that, okay, I have vomit OCD <laughs> and then at times I've had like pedophilia theme OCD. So we, when I have the fear of vomiting, the shame is very different than, mm. um, oh my God, am I a pedophile? Am I going to turn into a pedophile? POCD is what we call it. Um, the shame is different. The guilt is different. The embarrassment is different, but there's, it's still suffering. So we use a lot of acronyms in the community so people can identify with other people who have the same theme. Because if I talk to someone with contamination and I'm like, by the way, I had like terrifying thoughts and my groin moved and it felt like arousal. They're going to be like, yeah, <laughs> you know, there's just a, <laughs> Speaking of kegels, um, <laughs> I'm doing them right now. I'm, I haven't stopped since we started the conversation. So, <laughs> But there's a disconnect. And so being able to identify these different themes really helps normalize things for people, which everybody needs normalization for suffering. So in the, in kind of like the higher, like the spectrum of the sexual orientation OCD. And again, I want you to hear me when I say most people just, boom, a theme hits, like everything was going great. And then you might have accidentally seen something or saw something on TV or something happened. Someone said something and all of a sudden it's, oh my gosh, did I just turn gay? Mm. Oh my goodness. Am I trans? Oh my goodness. Did I turn straight? Did I, what are the, am I asexual? Mm. And then I mean, there's, there's, there's all, any sort of bisexual is a big one too. Any sort of variation in the sexual orientation category. So what happens is for most people, now I'm going to say too, there are people that have, which we call HOCD, which that it has, we have learned it can feel harmful to the LGBTQ community, homosexual OCD, that term can feel harmful. So I'm pretty clear when I use it and try to use sexual orientation now, but a lot of my old videos, oh, I, I'm all about the HOCD. My book has it all in it because that was my experience. Well, and um, like we said, language is important, but it also evolves. And when we learn new things, we change. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so you yes. didn't know that that was harmful at the time you learned it was harmful and you changed as a result. And so, right. yes, yeah. so I, I hear you and appreciate that. But I also think that's important for people to understand that we're all learning and but evolving and growing. And, and I would like to believe most humans want to do better. Yes. And so with this theme, um, you know, for me, it was, it was when I was 14, 
And it was, I mean, I was just like any hormonal 14 year <laughs> boy crazy and this and this and that and that. And I, and I also had scrupulosity, which is where God and religion gets involved in your OCD and that shit's no joke, by the way. And so I was very much bound by the scrupulosity piece. And I had a conversation with a friend at age 14 and she started talking about sex. And I thought, I can't talk about this. That's a sin. That's bad. And worry that I was going to, because I didn't know I had OCD. I just thought this was a real experience. And when I went to sleep that night, I was spending the night at her house. When I went to the room, I started thinking about it. And all of a sudden pictured my friend and her boyfriend having sex. And I was like, Oh, I don't want to look at that. But I actually thought her boyfriend was cute. So I was like, do I want to look at that? <laughs> and then I couldn't get the visual of her out of my head. Uh, and I found it disturbing because it was my friend. And I didn't want to think about that. And then my OCD was like, boom, maybe you're gay. Oh, wow. Yeah. And while, while people have those thoughts, you know, and they'll, they'll be like, oh, well, am I or am I not or whatever? Um, my OCD, like the glitch, it came in the glitch and hit my executive functioning. And I was like, wait, am I, am I wait? No, I'm not. Am I? And it's, so it's not like this evolution of like, I questioned, or I'd have these thoughts before it was literally like my brain felt the same way that it felt the day that I got triggered from vomiting. Mm. The same thing. And actually Debbie, there was a moment where I went, wait a minute, this feels the same as the vomit. And I waited and then I was like, no. And I didn't, I didn't ask for help. I didn't, I made the connection and then it broke off. And so I suffered for another six years wow. before a suicide attempt actually. Okay. And, um, and so that was how it happened for me. And that's how it happens for a lot of people. Now, I think the misunderstanding comes from, well, what if you were gay? But here's the thing, because it's ego dystonic, I knew I wasn't. And I grew up in the South. I grew up in a homophobic culture in the nineties. Mm. And there was even in my brain, like, I don't care if I am, but I just know that's not what I want, but I couldn't stop thinking about it because it's already stuck in the cycle. So that's where, that's what OCD is. It's just the inability to gain proof or certainty about something. There were times over the next six years, because this became my main theme. There were times that I would go, you know, it, it would kind of go away for a little bit. And I was like, that was so weird. Like, I know I don't feel this way. I'm boy crazy. I fell in love in high school. And then, then there were times that came back and I was like, okay, I'll, I'll come out and I'll, I'll live I will date women. I will, I will learn to adjust to this, but I also knew that wasn't the solution either. So that's where you're trapped. Yeah. You're trapped between like, am I gay or am I not? And, but it doesn't matter because you can't get certainty for either one of them. So you're trapped in the middle and that's where depression hits and that's where despair hits yeah. and suffering and torment. And it goes the opposite way. Individuals who have come out and are living the lives they want all of a sudden, boom, did I make the wrong decision? Am I really straight? And then it, so it's, so that kind of the, and, and it, 
so that's how it goes. But here's, here's where some of the language can get really tough. When you're, and again, I want to say there are people out there that have this theme of OCD and they are homophobic. Hmm. They, I rarely meet people and I meet people from all over the world, but sometimes people are in religions, they're in families where that's, and this becomes their theme and they're also homophobic. Majority of people that I meet are devastated because they're like, my sister is gay and I don't want to offend her. I don't want people to know because what if they think I'm homophobic? So there's two layers to it. There's the shame of even having OCD and all that. Then there's the shame of what if people knew and thought I was homophobic? Right, and, right. and interestingly, in the South and the 90s, like, even when lots of people around me were homophobic, I literally was like, I don't care if I am gay, and I will pursue that lifestyle. But I just knew that wasn't the answer. And that's right. what was so terrifying. Right, right. Oh, so that's intense. Thank you for sharing that. I did not know, you know, I, I feel like there's so many layers to OCD that I just didn't know, right? Like it's this blanket statement. And, and because I exist in this society, I'm like, okay, well, you know, so-and-so, like I have fallen into having a, a very limited lens, a very narrow lens. So I really appreciate you uh, just widening my lens. So I do want to ask you about barriers and I, I want to, Actually, before I do that, I want to ask you about treatment because yes, thank you. Treatment's an interesting word, and I know it carries some weight to it because, yeah, I'll just say that. And so I want to talk about, and I don't know if treatment's the right word, but for someone who has OCD who doesn't want to be, you know, caught in this on the cycle, like of what you're saying, like this living, what could be for hours and hours per day of just this rumination. What are some things that people can do? And then I want to talk about the barriers to access. Oh gosh, this is all great stuff. So, um, you know, like I said, I lived for 12 years, not knowing, because it felt so real to me and scrupulosity was involved. So that's when I had this the only story I could make up in my head was that God was punishing me with anxiety and bad thoughts. I actually didn't even know it was anxiety. It felt so real. I was just like, so whenever like I'd have thoughts, I would, you know, think about all the things I'd maybe send about and I would do these ritual, like, oh, forgiveness. It's, so it's exhausting. Um, but I was lucky and I acknowledged that I was one of the lucky ones. I survived a suicide attempt. I was hospitalized. I was put on a hole and hospitalized, which I was not happy about. And um, I was diagnosed in the psych hospital in Atlanta, Georgia, like in 1998. And literally the therapist was like, I've never seen anything like this, but I think it's OCD. And I was like, what? (laughs) I was like, I don't hand wash. And he said, no, he said, it follows the same pattern. So medication was great for me. It really worked. So I was lucky. Um, And then a year later, of course, I was like, well, I don't need medication. I can outthink this. You can't outthink OCD. Um, So I went off medication, relapsed, was severely suicidal again. And I, again, was lucky. I'm like one of the luckiest people in the world. I Googled, no, I AOL'd. Oh, hey, now, come on now. Now you've just dialed yourself. I dialed up in the computer lab. So eight hours later, you had your answer. No, <laughs> I know it took me like 
two days. Yeah, exactly. And I'm like, <laughs> all combinations of like, am I gay OCD? Wow. <laughs> is it like homosexual OCD, like sexual, like, I don't even know if the term sexual orientation was a thing back then, but like, and finally this dude's website popped up and he had like the first article was like bob's having sex with his wife and right at orgasm he thinks about his friend fred and has a panic attack and i was oh. like oh, these are my people and that's where i find out about the term puro and oh. i also got lucky because this therapist who's still in practice and he's amazing dr stephen Phillipson, agreed to do therapy with me across state lines over the phone wow and i was like Whoa. And, and we were privileged and had money to pay for it. Um, so I, I know how lucky I am, which is why I do the work that I do. Like, I feel, a, I feel like an ache to give back because of how lucky I was. Um, the treatment for OCD is exposure response prevention therapy. It's under the umbrella of cognitive behavioral therapy, but you have to have exposure response prevention. So this is an, the, I could go to so many layers, but this is going to move into the barrier issue. The barriers here are nobody really understands how OCD manifests, even in the psychological community. I can't tell you how many people reach out to me. They've gone to five therapists and said, I Googled this. I know this is OCD. And they go, you're not hand-washing. It's not OCD, which reduces them down to more hopelessness, more shame, more fear. It's not OCD. Um, And so, um, that's the first barrier is that we're not training clinicians in academia <laughs> to recognize this the way that OCD manifests. The second is people might recognize it, but they're like, oh, I'll do EMDR or I'll do hypnotherapy because this must be from trauma. And then you go in there. It's not from trauma. It's not it's not trauma based. So then you're doing trauma therapy. You don't get better. And you think, oh, my God, I must not have OCD. Wow. Yeah. So that's another barrier. The other barrier is who actually specialize in it. They don't take insurance because they can't really because insurance boards just take anybody who says they treat OCD. There's no regulation around it saying you have to use ERP to treat OCD. Oh wow. So most insurance boards aren't going to accept it. And so it's, there's so many barriers and so many cracks that people fall into, which is another reason why the average is 15 to 17 years to get treatment. And I would imagine that's if you're, I mean, I hate to sound, you know, really dark here, but I would imagine that's if you're lucky and you make it that long, because obviously what you shared a really scary, you know, attempted suicide situation, which I'm sure is not totally uncommon. So that's what's really ultimately devastating. Can you hold on for that amount of time? And we all know every person who knows something's going on, whether it's physical, mental, and goes to seek treatment and gets one door after another, after another, after another closed, whether it's slammed or gently closed, you do feel hopeless. And it's just total despair. It's absolutely the worst feeling. So can you talk, I know this is um, uh, way bigger, but could you show, could you kind of highlight what treatment would look like? Like, could you take something, because you talk about exposure, could you take something and then walk us through what that might look like? Yes. So um, just quickly, this might make a little bit more sense. So if you have an, an amygdala over here, whose sole 
goal is to keep you alive. <laughs> and like the glitch is you get an intrusive thought in here. And now all of a sudden you're communicating with your amygdala behaviorally because the amygdala doesn't understand logic. That's why people get stuck. I'm, I'm, you know, and they do the compulsions and the compulsions are behaviorally telling the amygdala we're in danger still. Please keep warning me. Oh, wow. But because okay. we're logical beings, we don't, we, that's not our language. Our natural language is not behavior. Our natural language is logic, experience, emotion. And the amygdala don't care about none of that. It cares about behavior. So the best example is when you're driving down the road and all of a sudden a big truck swerves in front of you, you don't stop and think, what should I do? What should I logically do? You swerve back and you don't even know you did it. The amygdala saw the danger. You acted behaviorally. And then all of a sudden after that, you get that rush. Yeah. You get emotional. Maybe you get, oh my God, I can't believe that almost happened. Right? So this is what we're dealing with. A behavioral part of the brain that we are trying to solve this problem logically. So it keeps going. So ERP teaches you the language of behavior. It's really challenging therapy because most people have been suffering with fears for years and years and years and years. So I'm going to use the example of harm OCD, which is a really, really common one. So someone might um, have like school shootings are really tough for people with OCD because they think, oh my gosh, you know, they'll see interviews and someone will be like, oh, he was the sweetest guy. And then we never saw this coming when someone with OCD will go well, I'm the sweetest person. What, what if I snap and I accidentally do that? And then they get that. It comes through the glitch and boom, there it is. So all of a sudden they start thinking, have I ever done anything awful? Oh my God, I killed ants when I was a kid. That must mean I am, or I'm capable of it. I'm a deviant. And then they'll be like, we got to get all the knives out of the house. What if I snap and kill my husband? If we have guns in the house, you got to get the guns out. I can't. So they become fixated on all that. So years and years goes by years. Uh, they'll stop watching anything that has violence in it. They, you know, won't read any articles, things like that. So maybe even stop going out of their house because they're too scared. They'll go out and lose control. And also OCD can manifest physically. So um, like I said before, if you have sexual truths, they sometimes can manifest in your groin area. So you might feel aroused and it's not, it's like arousal on crack men, um, you know, they might feel it in their back end. Women might feel it in their breasts, places where things are erotic, um, for harm, you might feel an urge. Like, have you ever been like sitting in a meeting or something and you think, what if I scream out something offensive or like, what if like I grab the person's next to me, their crotch. <laughs> and the more you focus on not doing it, you're like, my hand just moved. <laughs> yeah. That's like what people OC manifest for people. The therapist is going to teach you, basically at this point, you're avoiding so much stuff that behavioral language is telling the amygdala we're in danger. The therapist is going to teach you to behaviorally show your amygdala there is no danger mm. and they're going to make the thoughts irrelevant. Wow. That is so, oh, thank you for sharing that. I mean, that's so interesting. I would imagine for somebody who has OCD, I think what you said that really struck me is making sure that you're going down the right therapy and treatment path, because it seems like there are so many doors that we open that are not helpful. Right. And so 
it's, it's narrowing it down to find a few things that might be helpful. So mm -hmm. I think that's huge. And of course, we know for every community, but the barrier is it's always access, right? It's, well, yes. I would say it's shame first to even admit or honor or acknowledge that something's happening. And the, that shame leads to, well, we're not going to talk about it. Obviously, I'm not going to, I'm not going to seek help because I don't want to talk about it even that much. And then it's money, right? I mean, it's money. If you can't, yeah. if insurance isn't covering it, I mean, you know, treatment's expensive. Mental health is. treatment is expensive. And so I'm always grateful for organizations that work on a sliding scale or do for free or like, that's huge. That is huge. Well, I will plug um, one company, NoCD. It's an app in OCD. They, it's an app where you can go and get on forums and get support, but they also have started a therapy program in the last year. They're in almost all 50 states and they are, they're providing affordable therapy and they will work for insurance or oh, with your insurance. Awesome. So treatmyocd.com. It's in OCD. Definitely check that out if you're struggling and, and you can't find affordable therapists around you. Um, they're pretty amazing. Well, we'll make sure when we post this on the website, we'll add some um, links. Mm -hmm. If you want to share yeah. those after, we'll add Absolutely. those so that people can access. And of course, your site and, you know, I want people to have access to your book. So I have to ask you because I know people can't see this because this, this is just an audio, but you and I are on Zoom. And so we have this visual and I can see you and I see what's on your wall and I see you've got this great, you know, space. And so I see a, a picture, a framed picture of a banana, which is I mean, I like bananas. I mean, a lot of people like bananas. It's a perfectly very good fruit with a high level of potassium. But I'm guessing, do you, are you comfortable sharing what that is about? Is there a story oh, yeah. about that? Okay. There's another photo too. Oh, there it is. <laughs> is, that a, is that a great, no, what is that? What fruit is that? It's a sliced grapefruit. A sliced grapefruit. That looks very <laughs> is all I'm going to say. You have a banana. And then if you imagine a grapefruit that's sliced and open, it, it might, somebody might say it's a rot, you know, I don't know. Right. So I actually, when I first started doing videos years and years and years ago, I just love this photo. I don't know why. And it was always in my background. And then it, I had a friend reach out to me and he was like, why is that banana always in your frame? And I said, I don't know. And he was like, Chrissy, it's so triggering. And I was like, what? And he said, um, Chrissy, men with sexual intrusive thoughts have anxiety around bananas. Oh, <laughs> because when they would see, like, let's say um, a male has the sexual orientation OCD theme that what if he's gay? He would get a banana and his mouth would start watering of like, do I want to give the banana a blowjob? Oh, got it. Sure. So then I had to get the balance. Yeah. Of the oh, female. I see. I appreciate that. Thank you. I'm a little disappointed. It's been covered up the entire time, but that's okay. I'll take it. It's so triggering. I actually covered up on purpose. Oh. So I had group they would be like clicking off of my group of like I can't oh no but it's it, and that's to me the degree I think this is a great example of the degree that OCD will go to try to 
push you into the cycle. I used to be afraid of orchids because I was like, I only like orchids because they look like vaginas and <laughs> you will in any, and I mean, like I, I would feel felt like I would see boobs everywhere. It, like OCD will go to any degree to trigger you and make you think like, let's pull. And people like to call OCD a monster of like, it wants to trap you and pull you in. And if we reframe that, what it is, is if you're compulsively telling your amygdala you're in danger, that amygdala is working overtime to warn you. Like you have this fear. I need to warn you that that over there looks like a knife and you need to stay away from it. If someone has like the pedophilia thing, which is really common, it's going to warn you there's kids in the room. You need to leave. Like it's, you know, because you keep telling me that this is in danger. So that's, that's why logically we believe it must be real Yeah, because we're seeing it everywhere. But yeah. the reframe of that is no, your amygdala is actually responding to you. And that's where ERP teaches you. You've got to respond differently to the amygdala. Interesting. It's split. Yeah. yeah. Wow. It's very counterintuitive. Oh, I just, I have to say, I, I want, I'm going to ask you one question in closing, but I just have to say, this is, I'm so grateful that you agreed to chat with me and have this conversation. I mean, I know you and I both feel strongly that the more we talk about it, the more we open yeah. it up, the more we start to peel back the layers of whatever shame, whatever society is telling us we can't talk about it, the, the healthier we become. That is just, we've seen that time and time again. Not that it's not hard work, but it's yeah. just, it's so important. And so, you know, for me, one of the big takeaways is as I move through the world, right, what is seemingly so minute to me, which doesn't even raise a feather to me, could be somebody's like yes. massive energy expenditure, right? All day. And so I think mm -hmm. just remembering that hopefully leads to us, you know, as people to be just more compassionate, right? Because yeah. that, just listening to you, I can feel how incredibly exhausting that would yeah. be. And so Thank I Thank you for recognizing that. I mean, yeah. that's, that's a lot. That's a lot of, you know, in overdrive, constantly in mm -hmm. overdrive. So thank you for sharing it in a way that I think is really um, just makes it easier to understand, which I'm always grateful mm -hmm. for when we have these big, you know, things. I want to know it, just your last thoughts. What do you want people to understand? Like if there's one or two things that people leave this conversation um, knowing, what would you hope it would be? Oh, I think that in, but I really want people, I mean, of course, like the surface is, is I really want people to know what OCD is. You know, I, I put a post on Instagram the other day. It was like, got a lot of response. It was like, I wish we could bottle OCD up and have someone drink it and experience it for an hour. And then no one would ever trivialize it again. It is like, it, it, it is it's so tormenting because you can't escape it. You know, when I'm in a cycle of OCD, we're, you know, I've, and I, I've just kind of come out of one for the last couple of years in, and that's OCD is such a shape shifter. I didn't even know I was struggling. Um, but when I'm in a cycle, I can't come home and be like, I'm gonna put my feet up and turn OCD off. It does not stop. Um, and what I really want people to know is, when you 
say things like that you were talking about before of like, why does everybody have to be so PC? And why can't I just say that? Why is everyone so sensitive? We're sensitive because we're suffering and you're making fun of it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's trauma inducing OCD. So I mean, I think that the second point is OCD is a traumatic illness that people think is funny. Yeah. Yeah. These are, these themes are devastating. The suicide rate is 10 times higher for people who have OCD than, than, no, I don't want to say normal, but it's, it's, it's 10 people are 10 times more likely to attempt contemplate and go through with, with suicide. I would say over 80% of people that I meet over 80% report an attempt or contemplation. Mm. Mm. And your, when you say I'm so OCD and you say whatever people need to lighten up, you're yeah. making fun of me. Yeah. You're making fun of people that are literally thinking about dying. Right. Right. <laughs> and, 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 and that's what I want you to hear. Like your little comment about I'm so OCD. Right. Is someone's 24 seven life for 15 to 17 years yeah. on top of, they want to die every day. Right. So and that's knowing, why they're not seeking help. Exactly. And so knowing that, why wouldn't you want to change your language? If all right. it takes, well, not all it takes, but if one of the things that you can do as someone who, who is su- wanting to be supportive is to change your language, why wouldn't you do that? Again, say OC, drop the D. I don't care if you say that. Just don't say the D. Don't say OCD because- yeah. Everybody has obsessions and everybody does compulsions, but the disorder is who we need to elevate and target and embrace and say, it's okay. And you're loved and worthy and you deserve treatment. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm so grateful for our time together and just your, your wisdom and your insight and your willingness to just really, like I said in the beginning, be vulnerable and go there because I know for you, it's a calling and it's, it's what you feel you, you were really meant to do. And I, and I believe that for you too. So I'm really grateful that you're doing this work. So thank you again. Thank you for having me. And thank you for being you. I have just so much enjoyed like getting to know you through your posts as well and your passion. And I have learned so much from you and I know I've reached out to you as well, looking for you know, help and validation. And I just, I love having that. I really do. And I feel safe with you. And I really appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you so much. For more information and to connect with Debbie, visit listencolorado.com. 